Today's sermon passage is Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. 
and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm which you have given to us, which you have written for us. And we pray that you would stir us through it, that you would cause our minds and our souls and our beings to see you, see your greatness, see your unending love, and respond to you in joyful worship and committed living. You cause us to respond in hopeful repentance and joyful faith. Lord, we need you to speak to us today through this psalm. And we are asking you to do that. So, Father, by your Spirit, who is dwelling within us and who is in our midst, would you work mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn um, to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way not directly through, but we're spending some time in the book of Psalms. And if you're new to the Bible, that's right in the middle. It's really hard to miss. It's a huge book right in the middle of the Bible. And if you're new to the Bible, the Psalms are 150 somewhat standalone prayers and songs of worship. And what we learn from the Psalms is how to approach God, how to respond to God in faith, how to pray, how to sing, how to cry out, how to worship. And my yearning for myself and for you as people and for this congregation is that we will be found worshiping God freely. We will be found um, not just living by faith, but expressing our faith in prayer, expressing our faith in worship, expressing our faith in thanksgiving. And so as we walk through these psalms, I think what the, the Spirit is doing is saying, this is who God is. This is how God's at work. And this is what it looks like to respond to God. And so in today's psalm, what we get is an invitation to consider the steadfast love of God for His children. And so the psalm begins... And ends with an invitation to consider the abundant, abounding, faithful, unending, steadfast love of God for His children. For whatever reason, I think that our default mode is to think of God as a bit of a tyrant. 
And to think of God as someone who, yes, does bless his children, but does so somewhat begrudgingly and somewhat out of obligation. And what so many of the Psalms, and and this one in particular, reveal to us is that God indeed does bless his children, but he doesn't do so begrudgingly. He doesn't do so because he's forced to. He does so joyfully, and he does so in accordance and keeping with his unending faithful love for his children. And so the let us consider of this psalm is an invitation to use our minds to think about, talk about, pray about, and consider the goodness of God toward his children. That's the invitation from this psalm. And what I want to lead us to do is just that, to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So, for those of you who are my note-taking friends, I'm very glad that you're here. The first point, consider God's unwavering love. Consider God's unwavering love. And um, as we walk through this psalm, what you have is an invitation in verses 1 through 3. And you have a conclusion in verses 33 through 43. But in the middle there, you get these four patterns. And in each of those patterns, you see a bit of desperation, which leads to crying out to God, which leads to God answering His people, and leads to God's people praising Him for His steadfast love. So, Um, As we walk through this psalm, we'll kind of see these patterns unfold. But the first thing for us to grasp a hold of from this psalm is consider God's unwavering love. So let's just see it here. I think repetition makes a point for us. So verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. So the, the, the psalm begins with, Give thanks to God, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then we get into the four cycles. Cycle one, there's distress, there's crying to the Lord. And then verse eight, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of And what we notice there in verse 8 is God responds to the prayers of His people because of His steadfast love and His wondrous works flow from His steadfast love. Again, verse 15, the exact same phrase. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And then again in verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And then again in verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So if repetition means anything, what the psalmist is saying is it would behoove us to consider the fact that God acts out of His unwavering, steadfast covenant love for His people, and all of His wondrous works flow from that love. 
Now, we need to define those terms, but I think you see that the psalmist is like a, a hammer looking for a single nail and driving it home over and over and over again. It would be good for us to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And then the psalm ends, verse 43. Whoever is wise... And when the Bible says wise, that means to walk in the better way that is the path of God's blessing. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So there's this resounding theme through this psalm that it is to our benefit and it leads to worship for us to be found actively considering the steadfast love of the Lord. So, consider. I think consider means consider. It means to think, to ponder, to reflect, to actively set our minds on who God is and how He is at work and what He's revealing to be true about Himself. Now, often pastors like me stand up and rail against busyness and against distraction and against technology that sucks away our souls. But the fruit of all of that is all of that busyness and all of that activity and all of that entertainment takes away our capacity to actively consider the greatness and the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. And what the psalmist is saying is, it's to your good. It is the path of wisdom. It is the better way to, to make it a routine habit to actively consider who God is, how God loves, what God does for his children. It will bear much fruit for us. And so the challenge this morning is, will you take what the psalmist is saying, this call to consider? And recognize that what you think about in the shower, what you think about in your long, tedious commute tomorrow morning, what you think about while you mow the grass, what you think about while you sit at athletic practices for two to four hours this afternoon, what you think about as you go through your day will affect how you pray, how you think, how you feel, and how you worship. And the psalmist is knocking on the door saying, consider God. So I'm not, I don't want to be a fundamentalist here. I'm not against TV. I'm not against podcasts. I'm not against smartphones. I'm not against sporting events. I'm not against athletics. I'm not against watching TV and sports in Sunday afternoon. I'm, I'm not against any of that. I'm just saying that there's a calling upon us to steward our thinking to drive us to the Lord. Be wise. Be wise. Consider. And then he says, consider what? He says, the steadfast love of the Lord. And so, love in this context, is not a Valentine's word. It's not an emoji word. It's not a, a romantic word necessarily, how we would think of romance. Love is a word of 
loyalty. It's a word of faithfulness. It's a word of commitment. It's a word of promise keeping. It's a word of overseeing the one who is loved, wanting their eternal benefit. Love here is a word of commitment and loyalty and faithfulness. And the word steadfast means firm and unwavering. And so what the invitation here is not, this is not an invitation to consider the warm fuzzies that God cares for you. That's, that's true, God does care for you. But this is an invitation to consider the sacrificial, unending loyalty, commitment, and faithfulness of God to His children. So committed that He delivered them from their enemies in the desert. So committed that He delivered them from their enemies in the nation of Israel. So committed that He sent His own Son to die a bloody death on a cross to purchase their forgiveness and their redemption. So committed that ultimately His Son Jesus will return and destroy all of His enemies. This is a word of active faithfulness. And when we let consider the steadfast love of the Lord roll off our tongues like a Valentine's card, then what happens is all the men go, I don't do sentiment. I don't do emotion. I don't do that girly stuff. And we as men are being cut off from our hope in this world. The love of God is very masculine. The love of God is also very tender and caring. The love of God is very sacrificial. The love of God is very active. The love of God is very costly. And so in many ways, what God is saying is, I am to you everything that you could ever yearn for, and I do so in a way that glorifies myself and cares for your soul. Steadfastly, unendingly, faithfully. Ladies, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the men here, okay? So don't hear me saying that God does not tenderly care for you, because He does. Don't hear me saying that the love of God is emotional, because it's not. God loves His children. But I, I'm, I'm trying to course correct the, the, the phrase, the love of God, in popular culture has become a bit effeminate and a bit valentines to the point that when the phrase, the love of God, is said to men, they think that means something that's not what the Bible means. What the Bible means is God is vehemently, angrily, passionately, committed to keeping His word and His affection for His children above all cost. And I'm just calling the male population back into the phrase, the love of God. Because the love of God is the hope for everyone. And I just got angry fundamentalist. I am, anyway, so... All right, so ladies, do you see where I'm going here? I'm not trying to undermine 
anything. I'm just trying to call them in. See the love of God is something that is active, it's sacrificial, it's costly, it's defended, it's unending, and it's good for everybody who knows the Lord. See it as that. Now, so the first point is an invitation to consider God's unwavering love. Again, verse 43, whoever is wise Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're here today kind of exploring what Christians believe. Maybe you're here today wondering what's going on at this building on Bonita Parkway. I don't know why you might be here today, but wherever you are, consider this invitation. We believe that the God who wrote the Scripture is the creator of the whole universe. And we believe that he sent his son Jesus to redeem sinful, rebellious people. That's all of us. Every single one of us falls under that camp of sinful, rebellious people. We believe that God sent his son Jesus into the world to redeem a sinful, rebellious people. And he acts toward those whom are redeemed in this un ending steadfastly loving way and i would invite you to consider this god to consider this biblical view of god and maybe not any preconceptions that you brought with you today will you consider a god who loves his children who sacrifices for his children who wants blessing and goodness for his children will you consider that god today we would love to help you see him and receive him and believe in him So this psalm calls us primarily to consider God's unwavering love. But but secondarily, this psalm calls us to consider the impact of God's unwavering love upon His children. And that leads to the second point, consider our deliverance. Consider our deliverance. And so what this psalm tells us is that the steadfast love of God leads God to actively and continually deliver His people and lavish His goodness upon them. What this psalm tells us is that the steadfast love of God leads God to continually and lavishly deliver His people. And we see that in here. The psalm begins, Let us give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. Then verse 2, Let the redeemed... And so redeemed is a biblical word that means those who have been brought out of distress, those who've been brought out of bondage, those who've been brought out of sin and death and been purchased into God's covenant community. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from Trouble. So the psalm says, consider God's love, and it says, consider God's deliverance. Because if we are in the covenant love of God, then we have been delivered by God. You cannot be in the covenant love without being delivered from the bondage of sin and death. 
And to be in the covenant love of God is to be delivered from the bondage of sin and death. And what the psalmist is saying is that it is good for us to continually consider the deliverance of God. And he says, consider our deliverance. So we get this pattern again. It happens four times. This is the phrase you're going to see four times. You see it in verse 6. You see it in verse 13. You see it in verse 19. And you see it in verse 28. And it says this. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. The repetition in this psalm drives home the point that God is attentive to the present distress of His children, and when we cry to Him, He is eager to deliver. God takes great delight in delivering His children from our distress. So let's look at the four patterns here. Uh, the first pattern plays out in verses 4 through 9. We're told of someone who is lost in the desert, who is hungry, thirsty, and fainting. So there's a physical waywardness, a physical need for God's blessing and deliverance. So we're lost in the desert, we're hungry, we're thirsting, we're fainting. And we're told in verse 6 that they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. And then we're told what happened in verse 7. God gave them a straight path to the city of blessing. He satisfied them and He filled them. And so what we see here is there is a child of God who is in a physical brokenness and a physical stress and we're told that God heard their cry for help and he answered it in a way that met the need and exalted his steadfast love toward his children. Second take, verses 10 through 16. Here we see people who are in darkness, who are in the shadow of death, who are prisoners And we're told that the reason they are in darkness, the reason they are in the shadow of death, and the reason that they are prisoners is because they had rebelled against the words of God and they had not listened to the counsel of the Most High. So get this. God speaks. God's children don't listen. They're in darkness and distress and they cry out to God. And what does God do? Tisk, tisk, I told you to listen. You should have listened. That's not what He does. He responds to their cry for help even though they were in distress because of rebelling against Him. And we're told that what He does is He brings them out of the darkness and sets them free from the bondage of death because of His faithful love to His children. Third pattern, verses 17 through 22. We're told that this group of people were foolish and sinful. And they were suffering affliction because of their sin. That's not me reading into the Scripture. That's verse 17 
quote unquote, because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They were at the gates of death. And we're told that these people cry to their Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. And what did He do? He sent His word, He healed them, and He delivered them from destruction because of His steadfast love to His children. So physically lost, hungry, thirsting, God responds, God blesses, God satisfies. In the darkness and the shadow of death for rebelling against God and not listening to His Word, brought out of darkness and set free. Sinful fools suffering affliction because of their sin cry to the Lord. God sends His Word, He heals, and He delivers. And then verse 23 through 32, you have someone caught at sea in a storm. Now, what's left here is why they were at sea and why they were in a storm, and that's a question of motive that we'll just set aside for this conversation. But caught at sea in a storm, wondering if life will come to them or if this will be the end, we're told they cried to the Lord in their distress, in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. How? By stopping the sea by hushing the waves, and by bringing them to their destination. So in these patterns, we see God's faithful, steadfast love entering our physical hardships, entering our spiritual hardships, entering our waywardness, and entering the circumstances of the world that befall us, a storm at a sea. But what the psalmist is saying is that God is attentive to the needs of His children wherever they are and for whatever reason that they are there. What the psalmist is saying is that our faithful God is quick to bring deliverance upon His children when we cry out to Him for deliverance. Thank you. And I believe that what the psalmist is saying is that it is for our good to consider, think about, and ponder our waywardness and how the Lord met us in our distress and delivered us. So we don't ponder our waywardness so that we can stay in it. We ponder our waywardness to remember how God is eager to deliver His children from distress. Now, what we see laid out in verse 6, verse 13, verse 9, and verse 28 they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. There's a biblical word for this. It's called repentance. Repentance is to recognize where we are and our need for God's grace and mercy and to turn to Him and cry out for His deliverance. And what this psalm is saying is that God meets the repentance of His children with blessing and deliverance and He delights in doing so. so. So again, friends who are here kind of checking out Christianity, this is what I want you to hear today. We are not, Christians are not, capital N, capital O, capital T, morally superior people to the world. We're just as broken, 
apart from Christ. We're just as sinful apart from Christ. We have just as many proclivities to rebel against God apart from Christ. But Christians are repentant people whom God has met in their distress because Jesus died for our sins and he has delivered us. And so the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian on this spiritual level is not so much that we're sinful. Everybody's sinful. Not that we're spiritually needy. Everybody's spiritually needy. But Christians repent of our sin, repent of our rebellion, repent of our turning away from God, and we cry out for God to heal us and for God to redeem us and for God to restore us. That's the essence of this faith in which we believe. Jesus died upon a cross so that we could be delivered from sin and death through repentance and faith to walk with Christ and belong to Him forever. And so repentance is, repentance and faith, that's to turn from our sin and to believe in Christ, is the entry point into the kingdom of God. It's the entry point into the faith. It's the entry point into the church. And if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Christ, we would invite you to do so today. But, huge but, capital B, capital U, and capital 1T, it's important that we recognize that repentance and faith are not one-time activities. The ebb and flow of our faith is to continually turn from our heart's desire to rebel against God and to turn back to Christ in trust and in faith and in obedience and in worship. Christians repent. Christians walk by faith. Christians turn from their sin. Christians follow after Christ. And so what I want to ask you today is not how many times have you sinned this week, but how many times have you truly repented? And how many times have you truly turned to the Lord? And how many times have you believed that Christ has heard your prayer and God has reached into your trouble and your distress and delivered you? If you're like me, there's way more than four cycles in your week. Way more. There were four cycles before I could get out of bed this morning. In my own thought life. My own struggles, my own doubts, my own fears. But Christianity is about repentance and faith and walking after Jesus. Because we believe that the steadfast love of God brings about the deliverance of God. Whereby His children will never be left forsaken or turned away from, even when we try to stray from Him. The psalm says that it does our soul good to consider God's unwavering love and to consider our deliverance from God, which leads to the takeaway of application and worship. Third point, respond accordingly. Respond accordingly. Parents, I'm going to appeal to your parental instincts for a minute. Christmas morning, the kids come down, or maybe it's their birthday and they're unwrapping their presents. What, what are you looking for right there? We're looking for a joyful response from our children, aren't we? Like we want them to be overwhelmed with the kindness of the gifts that we've lavished upon them. And in that moment, if our kids just sit there and they go, well, but you see, Dad, I'm... I'm introverted and I'm pensive and I don't really emote that much. It doesn't matter, right? Emote! 
It's Christmas. And I spent $500 and you better emote. Do you know what this psalm says to us? It says emote. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We say that we're redeemed by identifying with His unending love and His covenant mercy and His deliverance and speaking it and talking about it. And then in every one of those four patterns, we're told that God acted because of His steadfast love and the imperative in verse 8, the imperative in verse 15, the imperative in verse 21, the imperative in verse 31 is let them thank the Lord. Let us be those who bask in God's faithful love, who bask in God's deliverance and praise Him for it. Let the emotion out. And I just think for whatever reason... Our natural default position is to take credit for the good things that happen in our lives. And last week, I asked you every day to stop and connect what had happened to God's goodness. And this week, I'm asking you to take that one step further and utter your praise to God. Something happened really good for one of our sons this week. It was something earthly and tangible, but something we had prayed for, and something that really required the Lord to shift a bunch of things for it to happen. And so when we got a phone call that said, hey, this has happened, our family was ecstatic. We were like, this is so awesome. Like We've yearned for this to happen. We've prayed for this to happen. We're, we're thankful. And so I took my son, for whom this good thing happened, and we were sitting in the garage, and I said, hey, buddy, who made that happen? And he goes, you did. No. No. See, our, our inclination is to take the praise for the things that only God can do. And I said, no, buddy. Daddy did not make this happen. There are things at work here that only the Lord could do. And it is good for you to learn to connect these good things to God's faithfulness. So the imperative of the psalm is to let it out, to say so, to praise the Lord, to give thanks to Him, to emote appropriately. And by the way, Crying and agony and screaming for help sometimes is appropriate emotion. So this emotion does not always have to be positive. But when the Lord shows His kindness and His mercy and His faithfulness and His deliverance, we as the people of God need to be found saying so. In this gathering, around our dinner tables, in our cars, at our workplaces, and everywhere that we are. We don't have to be those, those trite People that are like, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. No, we can be specific and we can be clear. God did this and I praise Him. So here's my challenge to you this week. Will you take every good thing that comes upon you and will you read it through the grid of this psalm and recognize that that is God showing you His steadfast love parenthetically in a way that you don't deserve? Will you start there and then cause that good thing to take you back to God's steadfast love and to take you back to praise for Him? And then will you do one more thing for me this week? When you sin and, and you come to a place of conviction and brokenness about that, first of all, I would call upon you to turn away from that sin 
to ask God to forgive you for that sin, to ask the blood of Jesus to cover you in that sin, and then to make um, interpersonal peace because of that sin, however you need to. But after you do those things, will you then be reminded of Psalm 107 that God delivers His children from their distress and He does so joyfully? And will you let that deliverance take you back to His steadfast love and take you back to praise for Him? Here's what I know. Worship as requirement doesn't work. Worship as action of ought doesn't work. Worship because daddy said so doesn't work. Stand and sing with me because the dude with the guitar said so doesn't work. What works is seeing tangibly because we consider it the goodness, the steadfast love, and the deliverance of the Lord that causes us to be found saying so and praising Him and thanking Him. I want us to be a people who love the Word. I want us to be a people who think deeply about the Word. I want us to be a people who dot our theological I's and cross our theological T's. But more than all of that, or actually because of all that, and as the fruit of all of that, I want us to be a people who are overcome by the steadfast love of the Lord and the deliverance of the Lord, and we're found saying so and properly emoting. So hear me, let it out emote in this gathering, in your lives, in your cars, because of God's steadfast love. We'll end this way. If all of this is foreign to you, we would love to have more conversation with you. Worship team, you can come. We'd love to lead everyone in this room to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. One way that we consider the steadfast love of the Lord together is each week we take what's called the Lord's Supper. Jesus' last night on earth, they were celebrating the Passover. He broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Meaning, eat this bread as remembrance that my body was broken for you. And then he held up a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Meaning, drink this cup as remembrance that my blood has covered your sin and purchased your acceptance before God. So here at Redeemer, I'm going to try to put this into the words of Psalm 107. We invite everyone who has experienced the saving deliverance of Jesus and who has professed that publicly, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, if you've never professed faith in Christ, we would say to you, please, please, Consider the love of the Lord. But recognize that this meal, the bread and the cup, is for those who have believed and confessed with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and are, and are deliberately seeking to follow after Him. We take this meal as a way to say we need the blood of Jesus. And we would invite all of you who are our brothers and sisters in Christ to take this meal with us. So in a moment, some folks are going to come. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup. We will sing, and I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll take the bread and the cup.